I've been fired an awful lot of times in my life at this point. I'm 38. If I'm ever going to try my hand at a, starting a business, now's the time. But then I had another 17 months of drought because I still thought I knew better than the marketplace. This is Paul Edwards, best-selling author, ghostwriter, and self-proclaimed egomaniac for 30 years. I'm Sonia, and this is the Plan B Podcast. Here we talk about instances when Plan A didn't work out, how to pivot to get on with Plan B, and what learnings stay with us as part of the experience. On the surface, Paul is a typical successful entrepreneur, a charismatic leader and loving family father who seems to have achieved everything that life has to offer. He's precisely the type of person that I created this podcast for, because behind the perfectly polished facade lies a recovering egomaniac with an incredible story to tell. We will talk about the million ways to screw it up and the few ways to get it right, the importance of giving genuinely, the cost of failure and the consequences, and the question, why do we not care enough anymore? Welcome to the Plan B podcast. I'm so excited to have today with me, Paul. We met through a common friend, Evan, who's also been on the show. And he got in touch with me and said, you need to talk with Paul because Paul has the most incredible story to tell. Thanks for having me, Sonia. It's great to be here. And uh, well, if I were to describe briefly, I have the privilege of being the CEO of a marketing and communications agency based in the Northwestern United States. And we serve on Online influencers, thought leaders, and executives create done-for-you content written in their voice that they can disseminate. And we assist with book writing, funnel copy. I'm also a husband of 15 years, a father to boys of 10 and 12. And in my spare time, I'm into bodybuilding. So I spend most of my extra hours at the gym pumping iron. I'm an amateur theologian and a disciple of the Judeo-Christian tradition. And I'm also, as I mentioned, a recovering egomaniac. That is a very impressive list. And it sounds like you've had a lot of plan A's and they haven't always worked out. So I'm really, really interested to hear your view on failures and mistakes and your approach to them. The first thing that comes to mind is a quote that says, failure is the greatest teacher. But the problem for me was that I didn't learn from my mistakes. <laughs> I kept making them over and over again. And so it's the greatest teacher if you let it. And it's the greatest teacher if it occurs to you that maybe there's a reason you're failing. And it's not simply because bad luck or people don't like you. It may actually go much deeper than that. And I think at some point, you reach a point where you say, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to keep failing other people are doing just fine at the same thing I'm trying to do. And yet it seems like it's off limits for me. I reached a point where I said, I don't want to live like this anymore. And it doesn't matter what it takes. I'm, I'm walking away from how I've been doing it because clearly how I've been doing it is nothing but failure. And so I can't keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Is it because you didn't recognize that it was a mistake or is it because you didn't care at the time? Uh, that's an interesting question. It's probably a competing version of both, to be honest with you. I come from an entrepreneurial background and a very much a leadership-oriented mindset, which is like we know things and we're very intellectual and we're very proud and we've studied and we've read. And, uh, you know, so obviously we, we know all that. We don't need to really look into it. And I believe these things kind of get passed down whether you want them to or not. And and they they also get modeled for you. It's this it's this deep-seated belief that I know the answer and I'm going to figure it out on my own and nobody else can tell me what to do. 
it just didn't matter what kind of damage I was causing. It wasn't enough to make me take it seriously. And I see that with young men these days. I've got a group of them in the church that I go to and I mentor and I hear stories and, you know, sometimes they share experiences that they went through and they said, I, I didn't learn from it. And I said, yeah, because you haven't reached the point where it matters to you to learn from it. And you could chalk that up to any number of reasons, but I think one of the big reasons is we have so many distractions and so many chances that we tend to think, yeah, I don't really have to worry about that. I don't have to think about that. But then you get locked up in long-term situations that you can't get out of, and you're not prepared to think through and solve problems and work towards adapting to that situation. And so we're not equipped with what it takes to do that for the long haul anymore. And so, yeah, I would say in a, in a lot of ways, particularly when I was younger, I just didn't care. I think it's a really interesting one. We had a previous guest on this podcast and he was saying failure is when you basically make a mistake and you stop. And if you don't stop and you get up and you come up with a plan B, that's a learning opportunity. But I think what you just said adds another aspect to this, which is you need to be willing to look at yourself and be like, okay, I made a mistake. I'm going to analyze the mistake, actively think about what went wrong, and I'm going to actively make a choice to fix it. Not everybody is up for that. A plan B is really if you actually think it through and, and you make amends and you make changes to your approach. In the biblical tradition, we use the word repentance. I don't think that's a very good word. The way we interpret it, uh, the, the Hebrew that was used there is a word that goes teshuva, and it means to turn away it literally means say, nope, I'm going a completely different direction. I'm not that man anymore. I'm not that woman. I'm that is that's how I used to behave. It's not how I behave now. And that is very different from saying, I'm sorry. So I'm assuming a lot of the things you just described have a have some sort of relevance to the story that you're gonna tell us today. Two years ago, you became a, a different man and you and you made a big change in your life. It all starts uh, back in the British capital where I came to London with a very positive mindset from a year and a half of living with a great mentor. Got a couple of jobs early on. Uh, one fell through just because the holiday season. Uh, and so I had to go and look for another one. And I found work at a company called OneTel, which was the, at the time, was the number one competitor to British Telecom. And I was in their customer service department. And I, <laughs> I'm not saying this is the case, but every Brit I talked to at the time told me, thank God I got through to an American Somebody will actually solve my problem. I've been dealing with all these. Never mind. I won't, <laughs> <laughs> I won't finish the sentence. And uh, I didn't know what they were talking about, but I rolled with it. After a while, uh, I would I mentioned that to a few Brit friends of mine. And they said, oh, "Oh yeah, customer service is absolutely horrible compared to America." So oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't know that. Anyway, I worked my butt off in that company for seven months, and I ended up getting about three or four promotions during that time. At the very peak of that, I was getting paid to basically do management by walking around. And I was earning very good money for being 22 years old. But something shifted in me. I was really drawn to the concept of having no ceiling on my income, which meant sales would have been a more practical application. And I wanted to be part of it. And they eventually agreed to look at cross at transferring me, but they took so long to make their decision in my mind that I began to have these thoughts of, you know, they should really be promoting me faster. Look at everything I've done for them and entertaining this, this whole notion that I would, I was really something. I made a fatal decision and went and applied at another company where I got hired. 
And so I resigned from OneTel. And about six weeks later, I got fired from, <laughs> from the company I'd got hired at because I went in there. It was a sales job. I didn't know what I was doing. And I fell flat on my face and I began to get frustrated. And one day I blew up in an email to my sales manager. And that evening he called me in for a meeting and said, uh, we've decided to part ways with you. And from there over probably the next 18 years, it was just a get knocked down, get back up again, get knocked down, get back up again, professional experience for me. One of the things that came of it was I said, you know what, I'm, I'm not into getting fired over and over again like I was when I was in my teenage years. So I need a job where I can't quit and I can't get fired. And that decision led me, that led me to the decision to join the United States military, which I said, that at least there, I can't quit and I can't get fired, right? But I joined, and, 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 and I don't regret my decision to serve. I went on to do two deployments to Iraq, which was um, an incredible experience. Um, I don't regret, you know, the, the adventures that I had, the lessons that I learned, the friendships that I made were all wonderful, but there was a lot of pain serving in the military. I, I didn't blend well with the culture. Uh, it, it did toughen me up in some ways. It in, instituted a strong sense of duty and discipline and accomplishing and working until the job was done, which was great. But boy, I just, I look back and there's so many things that I'm like, if I'd only understood, I could have handled that so much better. But I didn't learn. I finished my time in the military and I pursue a degree in communications um, here in Tacoma in Washington. I got that degree. And during that time, I discovered people kept saying like they always do, man, you've got a great radio voice. You should be on the radio. And I thought, you know what? Maybe that's a, a sign. Maybe my time has come. I'm still in the pride mode. So I'm thinking, well, here we go. I'm going to walk in and they're going to think, wow, what a great voice he's got. And they're going to put me on the radio. I did get a couple of internships. I did get a couple of part-time gigs voicing stuff on the radio. They did like my voice, but I quickly discovered I'm not 22 and single anymore. Now, by this time, I'm you know, in my early 30s and married and got two tiny little boys in the house and, and I need to be able to pay the bills. I can't be just dancing around chasing the neon rainbow anymore. So it didn't work. Um, and I had to go and find work. And I, I tried a PR and advertising agency in Tacoma and they fired me after 90 days. Didn't like me, never told me why, but looking back, I can probably put two and two together. Then I tried doing sales for a media company. That just failed. I, I still was not very good at selling. And then I, uh, and that was when I went into the insurance business. I got, I got a job with a local high-performing agent and really wanted to learn how to sell. And I did learn how to sell according to his process, but it, it was an extremely toxic and angry environment. And that made my life even worse than it already was because of my pride. I carried that into the next two jobs that I had, both of which were with insurance com other insurance companies. And I did okay. Not anything like I'd hoped to, not anything like I wanted to. I had become sullen and angry at this point as well because I wanted to be in radio or communications and it seemed like God had shut the door in my face. And so I said, okay, well, I guess I'll just try and eke out a living in insurance, but I couldn't get insurance to move anywhere either. And in 2018, after a six-month sales slump, I got fired again. <laughs> <laughs> I've been fired an awful lot of times in my life at this point. And a lot of people, I had a huge network. I had learned to network very well during that time. And they, I had a bunch of people reaching out. Well, we've got this business opportunity. We've got a job opening. We'd love to have you. And I said, no, no. I said, I'm 38. If I'm going to do a, if I'm ever going to try my hand at, a, at starting a business, now's the time. But then I had another 17 months of drought to go through because I still thought I knew better than the marketplace, what the marketplace wanted. 
And so I spent another 17 months getting nowhere and spending an awful lot of money to get there, trying to jumpstart what I thought they wanted. And it was only in at the end of 2019 when I got accepted into a mastermind group with a new mentor who said to me, why don't you broom all that and do something the market says they want? And I said, what's that? And he said, you write beautifully because I write content for his team. There's more people that I know who would want what you do and you'll get paid for it. And at that point, I reached another one of those moments where I said, I don't want to live like this anymore. So the answer is yes, sign me up. If you Google imposter syndrome, you know, there's thousands and thousands of pieces of content around how to come overcome imposter syndrome and how to be more self-confident and believe in yourself and love yourself and all of that beautiful messaging, which I think is so, so, so important. But I do think there's a very distinct difference to being proud or to being overconfident is maybe a better word. What do you think that distinction is? Well, here's a good example. A, A member of the younger generation who now is becoming my project manager on my team said that because he has an entrepreneurial spirit and has grown up in an entrepreneurial family and has dreams and a vision of starting a business and becoming successful in his own right. He said that all of his friends thought that you're greedy, you're selfish, you want to be a rich business owner, a fat cat. I said, well, what are you saying to them? He said, well, I'm, I'm saying I want to start a business and make a bunch of money. And I said, yeah, but why do you want to make the money? And he said, uh, well, um, you know, to be able to feed my family. And then I said, well, okay, but what about what else? And it wasn't that he was thinking, I just want to hoard it for myself. He wasn't being greedy. He just hadn't really thought about it, it was because he didn't have the category yet. And I said, yeah, the, the, the hard part for me about desiring to be successful, if we desire to be successful for its own sake, we've already failed. So, But if we desire to be successful because our success can begin to take root in others, because it can lift their boats, it can help them, it can inspire them, it can move them, it can rescue them, it can, you know, there's any number of applications for it. If in other words, we desire success because we desire to be connected and helpful and and we're uh, preoccupied with serving the needs of our fellow human beings, that's the attitude of a servant of a loyal and faithful servant. And so one of the ways that I make this distinction is I wake up in the mornings and I have this prayer that I say, it's a very short one. And I say, I thank you for the privilege of serving you, meaning God, by serving your other children. And the reason I know that prayer is heard is because I'm a father too. And when my sons turn around from fighting and start helping each other and doing things cooperatively, you know, one of them serves the other, helps the other with his homework, et cetera, puts a smile on my face 10 miles wide. And I don't view my father in heaven any differently. I think he's pleased when his children are obsessed with helping each other with their needs and wants. You ask the question, what's the difference between pride and self-confidence? You can take 100% confidence if your attitude is, I'm here to serve. Nobody has any objection to that. You don't have to worry about, am I doing the right thing or am I just doing this for myself? It's a selfless thing to do, to be preoccupied with serving and helping your fellow human beings. These influences, they really struggle. Like a lot of them have deep-rooted fears and anxiety and, and mental health issues, quite frankly that they're trying to cover up with fame, money, numbers of followers. And a lot of them, you know, I think will learn very hard lessons. The desire for significance, I believe, is God-given. You know, again, I'm throwing a hypothetical out there. I realize not everybody subscribes the same thing I do. 
I don't believe in a God who is small time or unnoticeable or insignificant. And I don't believe that men and women are made in the image of anything other than what he really is. And so there is innate in each and every one of us a desire for greatness. However, the way the world works is that true greatness comes with humility. The greatness that makes everybody around you better doesn't come when you just want to push a button to make money. And so you can uh, pose for a selfie on top of a rented Lamborghini sipping a mimosa. This is the other thing. Any, any people who are young listening to this, the human personality is not fully formed until you reach around my age. <laughs> so of course you're going to feel that way because you still don't really know who you are. I don't care if you think you do, you don't. And so be advised of that. You know, if you're 25, even if you're in your early 30s and you're thinking, man, I should have it together, I should know better. No, 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 no. No, that, that, that never goes away. I talk to guys twice my age, they still don't know what they're trying to do either. Just to clarify for those people listening, Paul looks like he's 20 years old, but obviously he has like the deep voice of a very wise man. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm flattered. I, uh, the funny thing is when I was 20 years old, everybody thought who talked to me on the phone said, you sound like you're 40 and now I'm 40. And, uh, to hear somebody say, you look like you're 20, but you sound like you're 40. I'm like, wow, that's a paradox. That's, that's <laughs> happening live right now. That's, that's the first time I've heard that. So thank you. Your story is fascinating. And so what I'm really interested to hear more about is how you got to that realization and made that switch. Beginning in 2016, I began to shut the door on a lot of things that I had just taken for granted and done because that's the way I'd always taken them for granted and done them. There is a uh, passage in the Bible that I have, have had in memory for a long time now where uh, Jesus says, Wide is the pathway to destruction, and many there are who find it. And narrow is the path to salvation, and few there are who find it. And I think what he's saying there is we have a million ways to screw it up and a handful of ways to get it right. And unfortunately, the million ways to screw it up, many of them are inside us. It's driven by our own lower animalistic nature. Uh, it began with my uh, relapsing into sexual addiction, which I was looking at as like, well, you know, when you're 16, that's one thing. But when you're 36 and you're married and you got two kids and you're professing, practicing Bible-believing Christian, you shouldn't be doing that. That there I was. And so I made the decision in 2016, I was going to go to Sex Addicts Anonymous and I went. Now I have over five years of sobriety from that. I made subsequent decisions in the same direction. I said, I don't know why life is so difficult, but I know that being negative about it isn't helping. Around about 2019, I'm, I'm, you know, more than halfway through the 17 months of being broke and, and not earning a penny for my family. And a friend of mine encouraged me to try fasting. And I'd never tried it because I'd always felt, you know, I don't feel authentic about this. I feel like I'm just doing a religious duty. I don't really understand it. I don't have it. I always, I never felt like I had anything to fast for. Well, now I did because I'm, I'm doing all this, all this hard work, trying to get noticed, trying to get people to pay me money and nothing's happening. Could there be another reason? And a friend of mine, a, a wise spiritual um, ally said to me, yes, and there probably is, but you may have to fast to fast to find out what it is. 
I said, fasting, what's that got to do with it? And he said, um, try it. And all of a sudden it came to me one day, I was reading a book and it was talking about pride and it was saying, there is a reason pride is number one on the list of seven deadly sins. And I, and all of a sudden it hit me and it was the, it was the spirit of God. Your problem is pride, son. And I hit the floor and I, you know, I, 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 I said, I don't, you know, and not long after this, right. I start having all these, these wonderful, wonderful moments. My wife walked in one morning and I took her in my arms and I started weeping and saying, I, I have been so prideful. I've treated you poorly in the past. Uh, I apologized to my kids for the poor way that I'd spoken to them. I apologize. I started looking up people that I'd treated poorly in elementary school on Facebook and sending them an instant message. Please forgive me. I'm 30 years late with this apology, but I owe it to you. Please forgive me. I was out of line. I shouldn't have done that. So now we're getting towards the end of 2019. So 2020 is about to hit. We're about to tick over into the new year. And the commitment I'd made to my wife was if I can't get anything going by the end of 2019, I'll cut bait and go get a job, you know, and we'll just, we'll say we tried. She was okay with that. And October 2019 is when my mentor shows up as a guest on my podcast. And then he invites me to write for his team. And I start writing and he loves it. He starts recommending me to people he knows. I'm still not making a penny, right? I'm, I'm writing for him. I'm in the mastermind, but I'm not earning any money. December 29th, 2019, I get a phone call from my first paying client. I need help with writing. I'm happy to pay for it. Let's talk on January 2nd. Your wife must, when you told her about that call, she must have been so excited. I never asked her. She's, she's wonderfully understated in her responses. So it'll probably be, oh, I was happy for you. And that's about it. But <laughs> I'm sure she felt quite, quite elated for me that that was going to happen. And I was in the state of mind that I'm now in. In the US, the whole philosophy is around the American dream. You know, you, you start as a dishwasher and you fight for yourself and you, you know, get up there and, and you buy yourself a Lamborghini like 20 years later <laughs> and you, you know, or you become famous overnight. It, it is very individualistic in that success is not attributed to you and the people that helped you, but it's solely attributed to you as a personality. And so failure is attributed to you as an individual and success is attributed to you as an individual. Whereas yeah. in Europe, it's probably more of a you are considered successful if you have helped your team or if you have successfully worked with others. So I lived in Germany as well for a while when I was with the military. One of my favorite things is I have a German graphic designer on my team. I remember this, which is not to say I experienced it, but I remember it as distinct from American culture. Uh, Germans on their birthdays give gifts to everybody else. And I'm like, that's different. And I can confirm that's definitely a thing in Europe. And that's a definitely a thing in Germany. Um, I've done it many, many times. And uh, it's really good fun as well. Maybe maybe we should have a, uh, a rule in America that once in your life, you've got to do that on your birthday just to see what it's like, just to have a different experience and, and see. Because the truth is, it's more blessed to give than receive, right, is what the Bible tells us. And And I've certainly seen that when I, I am at, I am at my most fulfilled and energetic and on a spiritual high when I'm giving and blessing others. Well, listen, Paul, this has been such an enlightening conversation. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Is there anything you want to share with the listeners or where can they find you if they want to find you for your writing expertise? Uh, yes, I have a website uh, if anyone's interested, the Paul S. Edwards, the T-H-E, Paul S. as in Sam, 
edwards.com. And I have a book called Influencer Networking Secrets, which um, is uh, is coming out in bookstores here in just uh, just a month or two uh, in the States, but you can get it um, on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com as well. If that's not an option, you can reach out to me on social media. I'd be happy to send you a copy. We ship them anywhere in the world. You know, since we had a deep dive here about uh, pride, I would end by saying there's an old proverb that says pride goes before the fall. If you don't feel like falling, a long way like I did, then um, it's time for a checkup from the neck up. Thank you so much. Have a lovely afternoon. Thanks, Sonia.